All right. Well, tonight we're going to be going back to 2 Corinthians. I'm not going to go over chapters 8 and 9 because they primarily have to do with money. And I think we heard something about that this Sunday morning. And then it's going to be next Sunday as well. So uh, I went ahead and skipped up to chapter 10 and came, came to one of my absolute favorite passages to start off with. And so we're going to be spending some time there. In fact, I think we're going to be spending time there the next two Sunday nights. Tonight and next Sunday night, I'll see. I might get it done, but I don't think so. So I'm glad that uh, you are here. How many of you praise God for the rain? It's excellent. Boy, I tell you what, considering not too long ago, it was 116 degrees, and it's going to be getting a little bit warmer, but I look at the forecast and nothing bad. I tell you what, 95 even seems cool. So after, uh, after all that, but I am, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Let's go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the title of the message tonight is winning the war within you. Winning the war within you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your word, the direction it gives, the hope, the benefit, the instruction, the conviction that it brings to us. We're so glad. We rejoice in the fact that you have such a heart for your own, that not only do you give the way of salvation, but you give the way of sanctification, the way to walk here, preparing for eternity, as Brother Kelly spoke of, really in part this morning. And so I pray that you'd help us tonight, because in these days, there are many that are struggling with this, many that are hurting and I pray that we would receive direction. We know we're going to receive direction, but that we would embrace the direction. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and read before we get into it. Let's go ahead and read this familiar passage. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to go 1 through 5. Now I, Paul, beseech myself, beseech you by my meek, the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, am bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh." For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
there, there came a day when this subject became one of the most important in my life because I discovered something about myself and about others. Sometimes we're sloppy with how we think. I don't mean wicked thoughts, although that can be the case. We can wind up entertaining thoughts of discouragement, anger, bitterness, anxiety, hate, greed, you name it. God's people can get in the middle of that. Now, I know this affects America because I believe I have heard correctly that America is the most medicated nation on earth. We wind up in a situation where we just can't handle what's been given us by God in our lives, and we don't seek to have his help. I remember when I was struggling myself, I had started to, I was in uh, Washington, D.C., and I, I told a friend of mine there that was going in that um, I was dealing with anxiety. It just, I, I, I don't know how much to, you know, to put into this, but, you know, I, I've heard that, you know, it can run in families, and I remember, you know, hearing about a couple of uncles, you know, they really dealt with it and stuff. And this pastor friend of mine said, I think I might have something that will help you. He had a man in his church that was a pilot. He flew for a private chartering service. They flew Learjets, other stuff, and they wound up they wound up flying quite a bit. I mean, so much that the pressure was on and they were feeling it. And he showed me, he says, I got a few things here. Let me give you one and see what you think of it. And if that doesn't do it, I'll give you another one. Now understand, this is a fellow pastor. And I'm not going to tell you where he's from, where he was from. But he gave me something. I had never heard of it. It was called Ativan. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. You know, it does bring it down some. But he had something he said that was much stronger. And I thought, I ain't taking that. That's just it. Well, I praise God that the Lord saved me from doing that. And instead wound up... uh, with a dear friend of mine who helped me when it came to thinking. You stop and consider how much what we do as believers, we, we, we are, we are we're, we're focusing ourselves on where the mind goes. I might as well take you to it. We'll cover it twice. Keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians 10. You know where we're going. Go to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. 
I love what he says up to this verse, starting, say, with verse 6, be careful or anxious for nothing. Now, this is verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep, literally guard, garrison about your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. But then he says this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Brother Kelly, when he was preaching this morning, what was he seeking to do by God's grace? Taking the word of God and seeking to help us think according to what the Bible and the author of the Bible desires us to think concerning treasure. We're always having our minds adjusted. Remember, he mentioned Ephesians 2.10. The fact is, when we read 2.8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That right there is a great part of the salvation plan. But then you go to verse 10, like he mentioned, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That means we are growing, we are thinking differently. When you give the gospel to somebody and you quote them, for the wages of sin is death, that verse used by the Holy Spirit will help somebody think differently about sin right? It's the same thing after we have become a believer. Go back, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 10. Now, again, in in thinking along these lines, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know, for instance, I can't wait to get to chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12. I love those four words. My grace is sufficient. Actually, six words. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for thee. I love that. That has helped me change my thinking. Listen, I got into this habit. I got into this habit that as soon as I would wake up in the morning, immediately... I'm grabbing hold of my thoughts. Now, I don't know what you do. Your thought might be, I've got to get to the coffee maker. That's fine. Praise God. Brother Whiteside, he's got to get his Dr. Pepper. You know, whatever whatever it might be. But, you know, there are times, if we're not careful, we might be thinking anxious thoughts, discouraged thoughts, We might be thinking thoughts of anger, resentment. I mean, if we're not not bringing our thoughts disciplined into Christ, 
they can be all over the place. Now, I've mentioned this before. One of these days, we're going to wake up, and truly the world is going to have turned upside down. I keep thinking of September 11, 2001, when I was woke up by my dad. It was my day off. It was a Tuesday morning. Dad, dad calls early in the morning, and he says, well, they got us. Turned on the TV, and it went on from there, seeing those planes fly into the World Trade Center. That is nothing compared to one day what we might be waking up to. And I think quite possibly. I mean, it's going to be there. I'm going to be using some material from Jim Berg. And I would encourage you, there's a book, there's a couple of things that, that, I, uh, that, that I have that can be an encouragement to people when it comes to this. One of those is a green book. There's probably, I've given, I've given it to a few of you. Uh, God's promises for your every need. All it is is scripture. And I, I think it was just, I think it was great. I've given out, I know, well over 200 of those. People that need to have the encouragement of just going straight to the word of God when they need, you know, they need to know something like uh, Jesus is my, or God is more my, or what to do when I'm feeling thus and so, thus and so, thus and so. Because the Bible is full of the promises of God, and those promises help us think differently than the world. The world is disgusted, some of the people, with what is going on. Have you heard about the riots in Europe? You know, they're looking at, you know, somebody was bringing out this fact, you know, we talk about global warming. Listen, the global freezing that is coming for Europe because they are not going to have the heating oil or the natural gas that they need. And there are people that are already in a panic. It's sad what's taking place, but it's in God's plan. And, and, and this is what my desire is, is that truly we will trust, we will understand this, that the world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. And we don't have to wake up and wonder, how am I going to make it through the day? We have the answer. There also are situations where maybe, maybe people that are going to hear this message, maybe somebody here, I don't know, but we wind up getting wrapped up in the things of this world, the greed, the lust, the desire, I want, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Jim Berg, in one of his books, cites this, that we can have this, th these unbelieving thoughts. God is not enough for me to feel safe. God himself is not enough for me to feel safe. I need something more. Now, I'm not talking about you're showing unfaithfulness or you're showing a lack of faith if you lock your door at night. 
That's not what that's talking about. But it's something where, we, you know, we've just got to, we've got to go after something else, something else, something else, you know, whatever. Folks, one of these days, the financial situation in America is going to collapse. It, it, just, it just is. Is it God's fault? No. Will God use it? Yes. But in this situation right now, we have to recognize that no matter what we wake up to, God is still in charge. Amen? He's still in charge. So for instance, so for instance, we need to battle the discontented thoughts. If only I had. If only I knew. If only I could avoid. If only I could get. You ever said that? I have. Or something like this, I should be or I should have. There are Christians that are measuring the success of their lives not by, again, what we heard this morning about treasure in heaven, but they're using treasure on earth to measure. I remember hearing a well-known, charismatic, health, wealth, and prosperity preacher say, I want my gold now. Except there's one problem. (laughs) The gold that is in the world now, again, one of these days, it's gone. It's gone. So where is our thinking taking us? Here's the anxious thoughts that sometimes we can get. Because when you deal with this passage, oftentimes this is what you wind up thinking about. This is where people go, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's anxious thoughts of what if, what if this or what if that, or what what if I I, I wind up getting... uh, a disease, or et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's been a joy to talk to some people that are dealing with those kind of things. Terry Schmidt. You know, praise God. Roger and I went to see the Schmidts uh, Friday, and she wound up getting a, um, a report back on her cancer that it's not metastasis, it's not spreading. In fact, it's shrunk a little bit, but she was hoping to hear, you know, that she had been healed completely. Uh, th- that, d- that doesn't always happen. There's a pastor down the street. I knew of him. I, it's been a long time since I talked to him. I just found out he had gotten, I knew he had uh, a cancer situation, and a couple of months ago, he died. He died. You don't always get the good news about what's taking place, but I praise God for the attitude that Terry and Dan have on that situation. Ultimately, one time or another, we wind up facing things where it's like, what's going to happen? I mean, my soul. I remember five years ago being in the hospital with my wife, and I didn't know if I was going to have, my, have a wife the next day. We both, you know, wound up uh, facing those kind of things. And you know what's great? When you face that, even when a guy comes in wearing a mask. (laughs) You remember that, brother? 
Praise God. That was just, that was great. But ultimately, our God, our God is with us. This is where we don't want to be. We have to be careful where we meditate or what we meditate on. And again, this is going to take a while to go through. But to me, it's important for a couple of reasons. Maybe I'll make it three reasons. Number one, I don't know what you're going through, but maybe down deep inside you need this message. Number two, maybe you know somebody who knows these promise, who, who needs these promises, you can encourage them. Or maybe number three, honestly, there might be somebody that watches this. They're looking for something like this. We know that that takes place. So we wind up asking ourselves, what am I meditating on? Am I meditating on the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life? Am I meditating on bitterness? Am I meditating on anger? Am I meditating on discouragement? Bottom line, be it worriers or people that are angry or so forth, we meditate on these things. A worrier meditates on uncertainties or the possibilities that can come rather than upon the certainties of what God is and what he does for his children. And that can be anybody, anybody on so many levels. So we have to stop and consider we're at war because of where we're at. We're in a place, you know, we've mentioned this already. We've talked about it before. We're in enemy territory. But praise God, we have the King of Kings watching over us. Look at verse 1, would you? I'm going to give you a little bit of the background, especially going up to verses 4 and 5. Now I, Paul, beseech you by, and he says, the meekness, the, the, the humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself in patient endurance. That's what Christ had. A meek person is not a bitter person. A meek person is not an angry person. A meek person is not one that is seeking revenge. So we understand this meekness is found in Christ, and we are to be like Christ. Not only meekness, but gentleness. That's comparable to meekness when applied to someone in a position of authority, as the word was used way back when, it refers to leniency. Gentle people refuse to retaliate. Now remember, this is describing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't go after people even when it's in his power to do so. Does God love us? Isn't it great to know that? Again, are there times that even God's people can wonder about that? Yes, I was there. And it's no fun when you're wondering where you stand before God. It's interesting what Paul does here in the rest of this verse. Look at this now. Who in presence have base among you, but being absent 
am bold towards you. Paul is repeating, and it's kind of interesting. Some people think he was a little sarcastic on this. I don't know. But, but Paul was repeating an accusation that the church at Corinth, that by the way he started, these people were getting an attitude towards him about. There were people that were coming in and telling the people in Corinth, Paul doesn't love you. And you know, by the way, he's not that, and and I'm using modern language, he's not that tough of a guy. You know, he'll talk tough on paper, but you get him, you you, you get him here. Nah, you know, it just ain't, ain't like that. So Paul walks them through as gently as he can, but lets him know, no, if I need to, I'll handle it when I get there. Look at verse 2. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, the rebels in the church, and they were led by the Judaizers, the rebels said again, hey, Paul, uh, courageous when he wrote letters, when he's at a distance, but he's not like that. No, 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 no. Paul says, look, if I desire it, I'll, I'll come before you and let you know, be sure your sin will find you out. But I'm not going to act that way just because I'm being prodded by some. See, Paul knew who he was dealing with. He was dealing with the people in Corinth. Corinth, well, like I've told you before, if you wanted to insult somebody, you, you called them a Corinthian. Corinthians were immoral people. They were base. They just, you know, what wasn't, wasn't good. He knew where they were coming from. And because of what they lived in, he was trying to get them to realize there is a place that you need to put your trust. Christians usually grow the way they're born. I like this. I don't know who said this, but I thought this was good. If they're born in an atmosphere of dictatorial leadership, they grow up depending on man's wisdom and strength. Now, that's not what we want here. This is our authority. You take it with you when you go home. It's there for you to open at any time. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you. I am a pastor. I'm not a policeman. But here, from this pulpit, is, thus saith the Lord. If a Christian is born in an atmosphere of love, and yes, humility, they learn to depend upon the Lord. And that's what we desire. We don't want a situation where people are always saying, well, my pastor says. No, the Bible says. Now, sometimes it's difficult. It just 
for whatever reason, there are some people that hang on to situations that took place with them a long time ago. It might have been under a different pastor. They know of a situation of something, this and that or whatever. And because of that, they wind up taking that, that thought and whoever it is that's in the pulpit, putting that on them. Well, if someone is like that, you know, they've kind of gotten unteachable. What we need to do is remind them, listen, you're dealing with the Lord. One day you're going to stand at the Bema seat. We're going to be giving an account for how we lived our lives. So I want in love to you and to anybody else in this church and whoever hears it online, my desire is this. Hey, as Christ was to us, listen and understand. So Paul is saying, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence, that, that what you've accused me of, wherewith I think to be bold against some, there are some I need to talk to, which think of us as we walked according, again, to the flesh. He's playing down his own authority. And he has this approach for this reason. Number one, Paul saw himself as in a war. There were false teachers in Corinth. They're working on those that he gave the gospel to. And again, they were just saying, he's a paper tiger, he's this, he's that, nah. But Paul knew who his enemies were. There were the false teachers, but behind the false teachers, there's someone else. And that is the approach. Folks, when it comes down to it, we have one enemy. Who is he? So, understanding what the Lord has told us and what his, 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 his followers, his writers, have told us in Scripture concerning how we deal with Satan, we ought to be looking and rejoicing and going, you know what, praise God, truly greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at verse 3. Going off what he said in verse 2, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, this is what they had accused him of. He's saying, yeah, we, we, we do walk in the flesh, but that's just physical. We're here in this present world. Now, let's stop and consider that. We're in this present world. We're not walking the streets of gold yet. We are citizens of heaven, but we're still here. Now, praise God, we can get together. We can rejoice in the Lord. We can thank God for what the Lord has done for us. We can praise him. We can sing. We can talk. We can pray together. We can encourage each other. But we get out there, and we'll wind up with people that don't understand why we believe the way we believe. They will be 
angry about it. We try to give them the gospel. They get angry at us. How dare you this or that? That's the war in the flesh. Go on. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We don't fight the battle with human ingenuity. Dr. Phil, worldly wisdom, this and that, that doesn't do it. Methodologies that man makes up. Now, I know I'm spending some time here, but we need to do it. The methodology, methodologies of the world don't. Those are powerless. It's, it's like we were talking about when it comes to prayer. Listen, Satan knows what we desire. And if we wind up, if we wind up asking outside of the Lord's will, if he can manipulate to get us something, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I won't accuse any of you, or I won't ask if any of you have ever done this. <clears throat> but do you know somebody, a friend or a family member that has said this? I'm asking the Lord if it's his will that we buy this car, that the loan will go through. How many of you know somebody that has done that? Raise your hand. How many of you have never heard of anybody doing that? How many of you have done it yourself? I'm not going to ask. Listen, we don't war after the flesh. We don't use human ingenuity. We just don't do it. These people initially, and Paul is trying to bring them to the point, the church at Corinth, the people there, that the church that he started, they were missing the point of his ministry. Look at verse 4. He's trying to tell them something. We don't fight like other people fight. Look, for the weapons of our warfare. That word warfare means campaign. We are in a campaign here. There are several ways that the, the world, the wicked one, is working against us. It has to do with thought life. It has to do with where we are in a culture, the culture that we're in. You can name several things. The Christian life, if you go through, and I'm not going to go through some of these scriptures now, but so many of them you know, it's seen as a, 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 a warfare, part of a satanic campaign that we wind up battling. That's why, I, you know, one of the reasons why I love this is that when you wake up in the morning, you need to make sure that what you're thinking is biblical. Now, please, let that sink in. That's the core of what we're looking at. If we can get into an attitude instead of, good morning, Lord, it's, oh, my soul, it's morning, 
You know what I mean. You know what I mean. If we get into that attitude or if we are just down because things aren't going our way, we're going to wind up being in a world of hurt. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the people in Corinth, would have understood what Paul was saying right here. Corinth, like most of the ancient cities, had a stronghold. It was a place where the residents could flee if an army came. And they could go to that place and they could take refuge. If you look it up in Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words, it says, What is a stronghold? Those things in which mere human confidence is imposed. Just like a physical stronghold, we can wind up developing strongholds, places where we take refuge as far as our thinking. Now, we need to be careful because Satan can devise some strongholds even for God's people. Problem, they're not biblical. They wind up going into something that is man-made. There's a Greek scholar, Zodiades. He said this, a stronghold is made up of imaginations. These things are thoughts, but the problem is they wind up being thoughts that are hostile to the gospel. Satan's strongholds are thoughts. He winds up working with us. Instead of us going to the washing of the water of the word, we wind up thinking humanly. That's why Christians sometimes can wind up going to the people of the world to help them get through life. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion on medications or anything like that. But I'm telling you, and when I say God's people, I'm talking about people that profess Christianity, so many of them millions in this world, excuse me, in this nation, wind up backing off, going, taking refuge into places that the world creates. Even, even into something like, things like yoga, meditation, places where we need to be careful on where we allow our mind to go. I might bring up a little bit more of this next week. But there are, there are churches, megachurches, and um, I hesitate to call them preachers, but people in pulpits that are, that, that are pushing uh, things, music, etc., that winds up taking us completely out of the word, completely. 
You know, I just heard just this last week that the number one, this is, this is where we're at, folks. This is where we're at. The number one gospel song in America right now was sung by a Satanist. Go figure. Go figure. If the devil, if the devil, the point is this, if the devil can get us into bitterness, apprehension, doubt, hate, anger, fear, anxiety, if he can get us into that, he can get a slice of our mind. Now again, been down this road And I'm telling you, I never get tired of encouraging people in this because, folks, there are people that are near and far that we wind up dealing with because of this very thing. Look, let's say you have a mind, you love the Lord. Amen? Love the Lord. But there is something where you have begun to think differently. You're not thinking biblically. Now, wait a minute. Let's suppose it's something about God's love, God's will, God's character, your place in Christ. Let's see there's a small slice where you wind up thinking differently than the Word of God. Now, I ask you, who has control of your thinking in that little slice? It's not the Lord. Who does? You know who does. You might look at me and go, well, that's not that big of a deal. No, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I challenge you. There can be something that you have allowed in the recesses of your mind to just kind of sit there. And the Lord has has sought to speak to you about that. And you said, no, that's not important. Yes, it is. Because Satan can make sure he can spread his growth with that. You wind up letting it spread. And next thing you know, your attitude is different to somebody in the church. Your attitude is different to the pastor. Or it has gotten worse. And, and, and you haven't sought to take care of it. Instead, you're just sitting on it. Now, what does the Bible say? Bible tells us, if you have odd against someone, you go to them, right? There's the problem. There's the problem. Go to James chapter 4, would you? James chapter 4. Now, the Word of God has told us this is how we're victorious. Look at verse 6. 
but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, what's, pro- what's the problem with double-mindedness? It's this. Double-mindedness is reading God's word, quoting God's word, even memorizing God's word with your mouth and not really believing it and expecting it to come to pass. You're allowing doubt and unbelief to be your ruler. This is a major challenge. We're not going to be able to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in this situation. Fear, bitterness, hate, anger, anxiety, these are tools that wind up sneaking in because of that. Go to Psalm 1, would you? I know you probably know it. You could probably quote it, but let's go ahead and let's just go to it. Okay, verse 1. Blessed is the man. What's the word blessed mean? Happy. Happy, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Did you hear that? Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You've started out with this. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But if we're double-minded, yes, we are. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I think we need to encourage each other that wherever we are in our meditation of God's word, let's step it up. We're going to need that because we're going to need to be able to encourage people more and more in the months ahead. I didn't say years. I said months because I believe, well, it's kind of like, remember when COVID came along? I remember when it was just over in China, we got pictures of uh, our brethren there, um, all of a sudden his name is slipping my mind, Hong Kong. What's that? Darling, that's right. I, was, I kept thinking Booth, forgive me, you know. But I remember, I'll never forget it. I, I, I remember saying, boy, you know, looking at those people sing through those masks, wow, what a, what a picture. Boy, that, that's just great. They're just faithful. And little did we know, a few weeks later, 
how things would change, and they have changed. There can come a time, there will come a time, when we're going to look back at this time, and we're going to, boy, remember when the lights came on? I don't know. Listen. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. A Christian cannot lead a victorious life except by the anointing of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and taking that word and changing us in it. John, or excuse me, the Lord tells us in the book of John, John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Paul told us in Romans 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So looking at what we're looking at there in 2 Corinthians 10, we need to recognize this, and some recognize it more than others. I understand. The Christian life is a continual state of, of warfare. Now, I've got a long way to go, and we've run out of time. So I'm going to pick this up here, Lord willing, next Sunday night. I hope and pray that when it's done, we will be encouraged, we will rejoice in what the Lord has taught us, but unless you want to sit here for five more pages of notes, I don't think we want to do that. But I hope and pray it's a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue, Lord, in this passage, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of casting down imaginations, bringing everything, all things, under your power. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this week, that we would check our thoughts where we're allowing ourselves to drift to and what we need to do to bring ourselves again in line with how you teach us, how you've taught us to think according to Philippians 4 and other passages. Lord, thank you for these folks. I'm thankful for their, for their, uh, their faithfulness. Lord, Bless them for that. Give us a good week, I pray, in you. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. Thank you, folks. We'll pick it up next week right here.